Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. Today's an exciting episode because today's guest is not only an entrepreneur, but also a fashion icon and a true Renaissance man. Today, I'm joined by Christopher Corey. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today. No, no, the pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. As someone who really appreciates both men and women's fashion, I'm looking forward to this discussion because you literally are the guru. I follow you on Instagram and love love what you do and uh, certainly looking forward to our viewers and listeners to learning more about you. If you don't mind, Christopher, maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, please. I'm literally born and raised here in New York, in Manhattan, and live to tell about it. You know, an exciting (laughs) place to grow up for sure. I've had my own real estate company now for uh, almost 25 years. And uh, in the past few years, my business partner and I started a uh, clothing line about uh, almost three years ago. It's sort of one evolved from the other, surprisingly, and here we are. Excellent. Well, I definitely want to segue into that in a little bit, but I want to kind of start at the beginning, if you don't mind. I'd love to sure. kind of learn a little bit more about the journey. So take me back to years ago when you were in school and kind of what your passion was and uh, what you really wanted to aspire to from a career point of view. Well, I originally started uh, when I went to school, I went to art school because I thought perhaps I'd become either an interior designer or illustrator or something creative. And then when I started veering towards interior design, I had to think of a way when I got out of school that I was going to get clients, get jobs, uh, do something. So I thought I'd go about it by getting my real estate license. And when I did that, I would sell somebody an apartment and then I'd get the interior design job or some facet thereof. And what happened to me is very unusual in real estate. Uh, It doesn't usually happen all the time, especially to young people coming into the business. I got very fortunate and I sold a lot of apartments sort of right away. And when I did that, it sort of snowballed and took on a life of its own. I went to go work for a little mom and pop shop in my neighborhood. And then sort of as soon as I could, I went out on my own thinking that it would tank in six months and I'd be looking uh, for something else to do. But uh, surprisingly, it it went okay. And then here it is 25 years later and still around. So when you mentioned having early success when you started in real estate, what do you attribute that to? Because like you said, it's very unusual. Most people, I don't know the statistics, but most people who get into the real estate profession do not end up doing that long term. What do you attribute that to? It's a number of factors. You know, I have to say there is a certain amount of luck involved, but I would say finding something, this is true of most businesses, finding something that separates you from the rest of the pack. When I first got into real estate, I had friends who were in the real estate business and I knew people who were in the real estate business and I would sort of hear their war stories and their tales of woe. And I I looked around, I just didn't want to be any of that. So I tried to separate myself by just sort of developing my own style on how to approach clients, how to interact with people. You don't really know it then, but it's it's really more just being yourself. And instead of trying to put on some persona that you think people want to hear or want to be around, 
also, you know, at that time when I got into it, it was a very interesting time in New York. I mean, it was in the 90s. Things were booming here. And it was just sort of when a lot of video, reality, TV, these type of things started coming to the forefront. And everything started to become based on image and what people saw as their first impression made a huge impression. So even though at the time I didn't have a lot of money, I thought it was very important that I put the best version of myself out there. So I scrounged together what I could, got about five of the best suits I could uh, afford and had them tailored to within a life of myself because I really thought I had to look like I belonged in the circle that I was moving around in. And of course, being at that age, that was super important to me as I thought I had to fit in and blend and to be taken seriously, I needed to look a certain way, which to some degree was true. But at the time when you're that age, it becomes super important. So I tried to polish it as much as I could, thinking that at the time, money attracts money. So I thought if I looked like money, you know, money would that sort of thesis. Later on, I found out it was really more about what you bring to the table in terms of your intellect and personality and when the and the other stuff was just window dressing. But that being said, because I was determined to put the best version of myself out there, I really do firmly believe that a lot of opportunities opened up to me because I was uh, very focused on that. And I really believe doors open for me that normally would not have if I was in, you know, jeans and sweatpants. So I do think it, it definitely played a role in pushing me forward and opening doors that I don't think would have had I been not my best. Okay, so here you are many years as a real estate agent. Then you make this segue into the clothing line, right? So how does it trans? I mean, listen, we all, a lot of us like clothing, but we don't necessarily make it a passion enough that we want to start our own business. How did that happen? Somewhat organically, but in a very strange way. So going back to when I was in art school, I've always been a very visual person, a very sort of creative person. And I never thought in a million years I would be in real estate this long. I thought I would do something creative, something much more along the artistic lines. But what happened was during the course of your time in real estate, you spend so much time with your clients, months and months sometimes. You know, you become very intertwined in their life. They become intertwined in your life. You, you develop friendships. And the closer you get to people, they start to ask you questions. Where'd you get that suit? You know, I love the way this is tailored. I love your jacket. Or if it was a couple that I would tell the, wow, I love your dress. And she was like, oh, it doesn't fit me well. I'm like, we can take care of that. I know how to do it, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. And so about, I don't know, maybe about 10 years into real estate, I not sort of knowingly started styling my clients. And I would take them shopping and we would, uh, you know, put them in things. And they would ask me my opinion. I would say, this is not a great color for you and your skin tone's all wrong for that. And it just sort of took on a life of its own. And after a while, it started to grow and grow and grow. And it 
started to become sort of as big as the real estate business. It started taking up a lot of time. Clients were asking for appointments and it, it just sort of really started to to grow. And then social media came along. And it was actually one of the young guys who, who worked for me said to me, uh, you know, hey, grandpa, you're not on any kind of social media whatsoever. You may want to get on that. And at the time, I really didn't want to be on social media. And I really felt like it was for younger people. It felt sort of very narcissistic and weird to me. And it was just, there was just a lot I didn't like about it. And I also felt it was developing, and I still do think that, that it was developing sort of Ironically, it's called social media, but what it's done in real life has sort of set back social skills in real life that we don't really use anymore. It's becoming sort of a lost art how to interact with people. It's just ironic to me that it's called social media when, you know, (laughs) it's... uh, By the way, Christopher, how many years ago was this that you were introduced to social media? Good question. Maybe five years ago, something like that. Okay. So I started looking at social media to see what what was the least objectionable to me and what I thought I could stomach and handle because what I realized was that he was in fact right in that you could see the landscape changing, that if you wanted to be in business these days, you really had to be or have to have some presence on social media. And so I thought, okay, I better do this, you know, just so I'm not a true dinosaur that, you know, doesn't have any presence on there because I really felt like from a business standpoint, it was probably a good move because I noticed that in uh, functions I would go to and things that I would attend, you never handed out a business card anymore. They would ask you for your Instagram handle or your, you know, and I was like, wow, okay, I guess the landscape has changed. So I chose Instagram because A, it seemed like the easiest thing to use so a monkey like uh, myself could do it. And it was also the most visual in terms of each thing was sort of a billboard-like photo with, you know, a narrative or text underneath what I thought, oh, okay, that looks appealing. But as I went through it, unfortunately, a lot of what I saw was, I mean, obviously a lot of self-promotion and I totally get that, but it also seemed like there was a negative undertone to it where it was almost a medium of lack. I felt like young people were going on there, especially young men, looking at how fabulous everybody else's life was and they were sort of seeing everything that they themselves didn't have which then made them feel terrible about themselves or depressed or whatever it was. And I thought, well, that's not great. You know, I really feel like if you have that many users and that many eyeballs on you, why wouldn't you use it for something positive? And why wouldn't you use it for something, you know, to help somebody feel better about themselves rather than terrible about themselves? So I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, and sort of be the opposite of that and try to promote more of a positive message in hopes that even if it helped one person out there, it was a, it was a worthwhile endeavor and also showing people that, you know, if a knucklehead like myself can do it, you can do it too. And, you know, you should really sort of think about not selling yourself short and giving things a try and and doing it that way. So 
that was my sort of grand idea. And, you know, as it grew, I guess it resonated with some people and I've had uh, countless, I mean, countless people reach out to me about how it helped them in some way and whatever. And that's actually been the most gratifying part. I mean, I'm extremely thankful for the business aspect of it and what it's meant for our business and everything else. But if that all went away tomorrow and I was left with that it helped somebody, I consider it a success. I think that's great. And you have roughly, I think, 380,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, so you grew uh, that. Uh, <laughs> I checked I, for you. That's OK. Well, thank uh, you. Thank you. But it's grown. Uh, it's grown in every post you have. Not only is it stylish, but you always send a great message. And I, I think you know, you. that goes to exactly what thank you're you. saying. So here you are. OK. And again, a lot of what I do with this podcast is about entrepreneurship. And, I'm always fascinated by how people make decisions to go from one career to another. And here you are, you built really a personal brand, right, through Instagram, which was very smart the way you did that. Just a really, really great thing. But you took your profession of real estate, you moved it into this fashion business. Now, again, going back years ago, I mean, high school and college, were you into fashion? Is that something that kind of developed later on? You know, not consciously. I mean, in high school, especially you're trying to find your way and find who you are from a sort of stylistic point of view as well as a life point of view. But I developed my own style then by sort of not, even then, I didn't want to do what everyone else was doing. Because just like in life, and as you see on social media today, or if you follow trends today, everybody started to look the same. And it was like that in high school too. Everybody's wearing the same jeans, the same tops. When I was in high school, way back before electricity, the big thing were Air Jordans. Michael Jordan had just come into the league and he was, you know, a rookie then and he was a rock star from the get go. And that was sort of the beginning of the sneaker craze that happened. And so that was the, you know, what kind of high tops were you wearing? And, uh, and I was a big jock in high school and, you know, it became sort of a competitive thing. Uh, everybody on the team, what were you wearing, you know? I guess at some point it grew from that and it was sort of born out of that. But very early on, even as a young man, I was sort of enamored with old Hollywood movies and old Hollywood movies from, let's say, the 30s and 40s, even the 50s, where both the men and women looked phenomenal to me. And I felt like they represented this sort of style that was timeless. They would look good in any era. They weren't following any trends. Not everybody looked alike. There was a common theme, but everybody sort of had their own take on it. And there was just something very appealing about that to me. So I think that seed was planted early on, as well as my parents both being very stylish people. Okay. So oh, they oh certainly... very much so. Yeah. I mean, definitely. <laughs> there was always interiors to clothing to what have you. There was always a high degree of style in my house without sounding too, uh, you know, bougie, I guess. It just sort of was organic in our house. Everybody had their own sort of highly developed sense of style. And it was, it was very apparent. And my sister, to myself, to my mother, my father. It was just, it was all around you. 
and we were also surrounded by a lot of creative people, people in the movie business and people in the art world and people in fashion and people in photography. And, and it was just, it was always around us. So that was sort of nurtured throughout my childhood. So then as I became a younger lad, the things that appealed to me were movies of the 30s and 40s and that sort of highly stylized style. And they always seemed to be their best and always presented an image that sort of brought the attention to them and their face and what they were saying. That very much appealed to me. So I think I adopted that early on, probably to varying degrees of success as time went on. But eventually it sort of sunk in and then I developed sort of my own version of that. And here we are. It sort of, I guess, organically grew. And through the social media thing, I've had a very close friend of mine who is now my business partner at the store. He and his dad were making my clothes. It's a tailor shop that's been there almost 50 years. And they're extremely well known here in New York. And the workmanship there has always been, you know, by far the best. And he's sort of, he's young and a cowboy. And uh, every time I would see him, we would always have, you know, good rapport going back and forth. It was actually he who suggested that we do something in this realm, but we never knew what. And then when social media came along, what happened was I had sometime posted that they were the ones making my clothes because I was getting the questions a lot. And then they would say, well, is it a certain style? And I would say, no, I, I design it. They make it. They never say no to me. Even though sometimes they think I'm nuts, they, you know, <laughs> they carry it out and they do it you know, the best in the city. And I was, a, I would say probably a couple of months after that, he called me one day and he told me, he's like, Hey brother, it's getting out of control here with guys coming in to the tailor shop with you on the phone saying, Hey, you made this. Could you make this for me? And then, you know, they buy five of them and they buy six of them at a time. And, and he was like, Hey, we got to do something. We got to, you know, and I thought, no, man, I'm just, I'm just happy you have the business and I'm happy for you. Then another month or two went by and he called me again. He said, no, now it's really getting out of control. He said, um, my dad and I haven't been as busy in a long time. Where This is nuts. He said, why don't we collaborate and do something? He said, you know, you design them, I'll build them. And I can't do what you do and you can't do what I do. And maybe together we can work something out. And so we did, and we thought we'd just design this sort of small capsule collection that, you know, we'd maybe put online somewhere and hopefully three people, one of them being, you know, a cousin, would buy it. <laughs> and then we did that, and we set up sort of a system in place where they could come in and buy, and it, shockingly to me, it exploded. He and I were looking at each other like, okay, you know, this is probably the best idea we've had in a while. <laughs> and a series of opportunities presented themselves and a retail space became available. And that was the last thing I wanted to do was open up a, a retail shop because I could see very readily that it was pretty much the retail apocalypse approaching. It was not something I wanted to do, but, you know, he totally talked me into it. And sort of the stars aligned with how we got it. And it turns out that it was in a space that my father used to frequent to have his clothes made. So there was a lot of history there that just seemed sort of preordained. 
We signed the lease. This is almost three years ago now. And honestly, from the day we opened, other than a couple of months that we were closed during the height of COVID, it has been a nonstop experience there, the likes of which neither of us could have imagined in our wildest dreams. That's amazing. I was going to ask you about COVID, right? COVID is obviously a big thing here, and uh, we're still yeah. in the middle of this pandemic to some degree. Yep. So from a business point of view, I mean, did you see a shift? I mean, we're, like you said, you were closed for a period of time like most businesses, yep. but did you find that, do you do more business now online or is it still more in person or what does that look like these days? We, again, have been super fortunate in that when it hit, it hit at a very interesting and you know, tragic time for a lot of reasons, but we had just come back. We had done our first runway show in Paris and literally I would say maybe six or seven days after we got back here to New York from Paris, everything shut down. And I thought, Oh my God. And it was sort of weirdly ironic in that, the Paris show was amazing and we had a ton of interest and people wanting to place massive orders. And we thought, Oh, eh, you know, this is, you know, touchdown. And then COVID hit and we thought, okay, we've gone from like a hundred to zero in no time. That's, you know, and then I thought, Oh my God, this is, especially cause we didn't really know what, what it was going to be like. And a uh, pandemic was a new word and all these things. And I thought, oh, you know, we're going to shut the doors and, and this is going to be the end of us. Just as I think just about every other retailer thought at that time, but there was a stroke of good fortune. And just prior to that, we had gotten our website up and the majority of our stuff online. And when I tell you, I mean, there was maybe a week or so there where after we shut the store down, everything was totally quiet. And I thought, Oh, this is it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start getting these alerts on the website of these, you know, chimes going off uh, about sales. And then it just wouldn't stop. And it started relentlessly kind of in some ways, I think it actually helped us because we found this worldwide audience and customer base that I don't know that we would have as quickly, certainly, without the COVID situation happening. You know, right after that, I would say maybe three, four, five months after that, we started shipping garments to places I never would have imagined we would ship, you know, whether it was in Istanbul or Hong Kong or Australia, I mean, literally worldwide, a lot in Italy, a lot in London. I mean, things much more internationally sort of biased than I ever would have imagined, at least certainly that quickly. And now that we've come out of it, I think in that way, it almost helped us in that it sort of propelled us a little faster than we would have grown naturally this whole past week. We had massive shipments all over the world to places that I like, how do they even know about it? You know, and <laughs> Instagram, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, you really realize the, the global impact of Instagram. You know, when we were in Paris, when we were preparing for the show, we'd be walking around gathering things for the show. And there were people and I'm, I was with my business partner, Carl at the time, walking the streets of Paris and, 
you know, obviously it's Paris and we're taking it all in and it's, it's sure. one of my favorite places in the world, but every so often some guy would come running up to me and say, Oh, you know, I follow you on Instagram. Can I take, you know, <laughs> and as this continued, whether it be in London or Paris, you know, he's turned to me and he said, mate, you don't really realize we're so in our bubble in New York. You know, you think it's all like New York based or there's some people down in Miami who follow you and he said, but you don't really realize how vast the sort of the network is. And it's not till you sort of travel internationally and, and have that experience with people coming up to you and, and recognizing you and, and being very complimentary and very sweet. And also you meet a lot of great people. I mean, that I have to say, you know, there's some fabulous people I've met through Instagram that I probably never would have met had it not been through Instagram. So I have to say, right. even in that, it had its benefits. Then when we got back, literally we went from the height to the toilet bowl, <laughs> back to a height that I never could have imagined. And I really do think that had a lot to do with it. So there you are, you know, it's the power of Instagram and then sort of finding something good out of something truly tragic and horrific. It's living proof that uh, anything can happen. Yeah, it makes you realize how big that reach is on Instagram oh, or social media in general. God, yeah. And the point is, as well as you've done with that, I mean, sky's the limit, right? I mean, there literally is no limit to how much exposure you can get. When we talk about COVID, obviously, a lot of things in the world have changed, and a lot of that may stay around for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah. Fashion is something that, from my point of view, is a very interesting thing because COVID's changed that as well. Now, yeah. the question is going to be, how long has it changed it for? Is it is it a temporary or permanent type of change? But for most of us, we ended up working from home. People started wearing more gym type of clothing, right? The, right, the right. style or fashion right. has changed quite a bit. What do you yeah. see now? I know your specialty is more with men's clothing and fashion, but also with women, I'll be interested to hear your take on that. But from a, the men's point of view, where do you see fashion going? I mean, do you see things like uh, people, you're wearing a tie today. But do you think the tie is, is still here to stay? Do you think we take a break from it? And what are your thoughts around that? Well, I think it's more of an evolution than a revolution. While COVID has certainly changed that aspect of the world, it comes down to adapting to what the change is. And that sort of, you have to differentiate style and fashion. Fashion is something that changes seasonally that's something you have to keep up with and there's a place for that and there are things in fashion that are phenomenal that being said style is something that i'm more interested in because style is timeless it's not about the flavor of the month or the hot shoe or the hot bag or the or the, any of that stuff it's really more um i would say for lack of a better word what is consistent looking good no matter what time period you're in. That's the sort of definition of timeless. It, it really, it's not marking time, it's carrying through time. So in that respect, I think certain aspects of style will continue. They may evolve wearing a tie. There may be that, but to a lesser degree. I do think there is a certain fundamental shift in that if you give people a chance to be 
more lazy or more comfortable, they take it in a minute. And this has opened the door for that in a world that was going that way anyway. And just like in its own weird way, COVID sort of propelled and accelerated the timeline of our business. I think it propelled and accelerated that aspect of society that was already in place. If you look at the success of brands that sort of perpetuate that in that very loose, casual, somewhat streetwear, although streetwear can be highly stylized and look amazing, but that sort of yoga pant kind of mentality and yoga pant as evening wear mentality, which is wrong on many levels, <laughs> uh, you sort of see where this now just blew that up like on steroids. I mean, it just sort of propelled that. So I do think regardless of whether you're CKC or Ralph Lauren or Tom Ford, and I by no means put us in that category, but as an example, I think you do have to adapt somewhat, but without giving up your core principles of what you think looks good. So you can adapt to it and you can evolve with it, but you don't have to sell your soul to it because then you will, as the pendulum swings back or swings in another direction totally, you'll end up following and chasing the next trend. We've been able to adapt to it in that we have a sort of somewhat streetwear line that people, I have to say, is now overtaking our suiting line in some areas that you can see how the fundamental shift has come about. But that being said, our core audience is still that a highly sort of stylized, a little more formal than sweatpants type of thing. And it's probably the answer to your question is somewhere in between. There may be a hybrid of it. We're actually right now working with a couple of mills where we're experimenting with new fabrics that are a little more jersey-like and comfortable, yet highly stylized and suited. We're working on some samples now that if they come out the way we hope they will, sort of lends itself to that and will be, you can still look good and be comfortable is sort of the idea of it without being totally in the Zoom work from home camp with, you know, maybe you have a shirt on and you're not actually even wearing pants. That, uh, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. That is a whole other thing, yes. And then as far as the women's business was concerned, ironically, after the Paris show, we had more orders for our women's stuff than our men's. So we thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. Now the women's business, but then, you know, COVID hit and we sort of put it on the back burner when we focused more on the online stuff. But now we're actually getting back just recently, actually, to uh, the women's wear line. Hopefully, if things work out, we're sort of having a meeting of the minds of uh, the creative forces uh, in our shop that will sort of nurture new designs that come out because what we're really looking for is the women's wear to sort of match the level of A, the quality and B, the look of the men's wear. So that if you saw 
two people wearing CKC walking into a party, they look like they're together. You know, there's some yeah. cohesiveness to to that where one isn't too trendy and one it's more classic, but with an edge, very big on fit. So that's something we're working on now. And I hope if it all works out in, later in the fall into the winter, we'll have some, some pretty exciting stuff coming up. I like that. I think personally, I think style is just a way to kind of showcase who you are, right? And to some degree, Absolutely. it makes you, makes you stand out. You know, even when I mentioned the tie, obviously, even on television, we're seeing a lot less people are wearing a tie. But I would say for yeah. a lot of people, as long as that's their look, it's also a way to separate yourself amongst other people as well. Probably Very even true. more so now. Very than true. Ever seen. I really feel like if the tie is authentically you or whatever is authentically you, whether you have pink hair or you wear a tie or whatever it is and you own it and it's authentically you, you're always going to look good because it, it's a natural, it's like a second skin. If you're able to sort of incorporate that on the daily, I feel like it puts out an energy there that people respond to. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on some of the trends that are out there now. But for men's suits, single-breasted versus double-breasted, where are things with that? I frankly, and I, I mean this in no flippant way whatsoever, I could give a damn. Uh, <laughs> only because I feel like I don't really concern myself with what's in or what's out. If we have a client come into the shop, I have to put what looks best on them and what is going to make them look their best. It can be on point in terms of trend or completely off the rails. If they look good, we've succeeded. So whatever the prevailing trend is, whether it's double breasted or pleats in the pants, no pleats in the pants, if what if a guy comes in and he says to me, uh, you know, I want to take all the pleats out of my pants because pleats are out. I said, but pleats look amazing on you. Do you want to put something on that's not going to look amazing on you? Because that's what's going to happen if I take the pleats out of the pants. And he says, you're right. And I said, are you, are you happy with the pleats? Are you comfortable in the pleats? Do the pleats look good on you? If all those answers are yes, why, if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, why would we tamper with that and make you look worse? We want to make you look better. That's yeah. really interesting what you just said. And I want to, I want to just kind of repeat a little bit of what, what you mentioned. Yeah, because, sure. Again, style. So like you said, it's all about kind of what looks good on you and what you feel comfortable with. So even if, and, and with my question was that I'm noticing, and you know, I'm a novice here, but I'm noticing more and more men are wearing double-breasted suits. So yeah. from my perception, which doesn't mean a lot, it looks like there's a more of a trend that way. But your point really is if you look better in a single-breasted suit and that's kind of, it fits to your build and it looks good on you, then why necessarily move over to double-breasted suit if, if it's not yeah. you? Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like you should look your best at all times and whether it's double-breasted, single-breasted, shawl lapel, skinny lapel, wide lapel, Whatever makes you look your best, that is what's trending because that's what's trending on you. And you only really need to be concerned with what's trending on you because that trend should continue for the rest of your days. And it's whatever makes you look good. Whatever the magazines or uh, social media are telling you is, you know, what's cool now, 
if it looks good on you, you should hop right into it. If it doesn't, get the hell away from it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great advice. Let me ask you, Christopher, you know, you've been an entrepreneur your entire life. What's your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? What do you love about it? Well, I guess anybody who knows me would probably answer that by saying, well, he gets to control everything. And there is a certain truth to that. You know, Carl, my business partner and I, I think we both have personalities that would be very difficult for either of us to work for someone else. So the fact that we get to call the shots, I think definitely feeds into some need in, in ourselves. So there's that. I also feel like giving an opportunity to others around you, that you're in a position to do that, whether it be some young designer coming up or we have a couple of interns in the office who are just getting into the business and, and you're able to hire them and show them the business. It's passing the baton, I feel like, is a huge gratifying factor about being an entrepreneur. And also, you're, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some drug-like aspect to it in that you're not really limited by anything other than your own imagination. There's no sort of structure that you have to follow in order to navigate growth. It's really up to you. You can do whatever it is you want to do, how you want to do it. I think it's very important to surround yourself with really smart people who will give you their opinion. And if you respect them, you hold great weight in their opinion. And then you're going to end up doing what you want to do anyway. But it at least makes you pause and think, mm, maybe that's, that's not you know, the right way. Maybe should I maybe not do that or take into consideration what they say? I'm very fortunate in that in my personal life, also in business, I'm surrounded by incredible people. And that helps me in that way. But at the end of the day, being an entrepreneur, you, you get to call the shots and you get to chart the course the way you would like it to go. Now you're going to you know, fall on your face 15 different times. And that's okay because you learn from that and you grow from that. But you sort of get to decide how and when you're going to fall on your face rather than it being dictated to you whether it be by a corporate structure or a series of management tiers above you. It can be somewhat stifling creatively and mentally in those situations. And it can, I have a lot of friends in those situations and I feel for them and they, they're very frustrated in that way that they're not able to, and even if they wanna contribute to that company and make that company grow and it's not really about them, their ideas don't get heard the way they want them to get heard or, or at all for that matter. So that is one of, I would say, a handful of the things that is great about being an entrepreneur is that it's not only what you can do, but what you don't have to deal with on the other side. So what would you say is the toughest part of being an entrepreneur? The exact same thing. <laughs> that you dictate everything and that you know it's all on you it's a blessing and a curse you know that you 
the buck is going to stop with you and it's going to, whether the idea works or doesn't work, it always comes back to you. I would say one of the toughest things though, quite honestly, is time management. That I have to say there, because you have so much on your plate, there are some exhausting days and not being able to get to everything that you want to get to in a certain amount of time and in a timely manner. And inevitably things will fall through the cracks that you would rather not have happen, but it's part of the deal. It's one of the pitfalls, but it, I have to say it's one of the hardest things to deal with is time management. It's also keeping all the plates in the air at one time, you know, you're juggling everything all at once and you're so hypersensitive to not letting anything hit the floor that it can be sort of all consuming at some point. And you have to sort of, which I'm completely still learning to do is take a step back and take time for yourself and do all that. It could, finding that balance can be very, very difficult, but balance could, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, you really have to do it just from a mental health standpoint and physically and everything else. But, and while it is a, a high class problem to have, it still can be a problem at times. So you really have to be mindful of it. I agree with you. I think most entrepreneurs don't do that well, the balance, right? It's a very, very right. tricky thing. And like you said, yeah. from a mental health point of view, obviously very important. Christopher, as we yeah. kind of wrap things up here a little bit, what kind of parting advice do you have for those aspiring entrepreneurs out there who are looking to build a business? What advice would you give them? You know, honestly, I would say the best piece of advice I could probably give them is to stop listening to so much advice. I found that, and this has been true for myself and I've seen it in other entrepreneurs is that you get so much input from other people that it can sometimes get you out of your own idea and make you second guess everything to a point where it comes to be a situation where it's sort of paralysis by analysis. Sure. You've worked it over in your head and gotten so much input from so many people that you didn't do anything because you were scared to make a mistake. So I would say stop listening to everybody as much. Certainly take input from people you admire and respect or intelligent or talented in what they do. But at the end of the day, you have to do what feels right to you. You have to do what is both authentic to you, but also that in your gut, which has an amazing track record, whether you listen to it or not is a different story, but <laughs> it's all different it story. has an amazing track record and that it's never been wrong. It may not always give you what you want to hear, but it's never been wrong. So if you're able to tap into that on a regular basis and sort of filter out the noise that's around you, even though that noise may have good intentions, and want what's best for you and whatever. You really have to think about what's authentically you and what you should do and your own path and your own creativity and your own sort of lane that is leading you to where you want to go. So I would say the best advice is probably less advice. Yeah, well, that's a great way to end here, Christopher. Listen, thank you so uh, much for joining us here today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you very I am insightful. humbled and honored, my friend, that you asked me. I truly am. And I really do thank you for the opportunity. 
Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. Continued success. And I'll see you uh, at your store probably towards the end of the year. So thank you. Uh, I look forward to seeing you there. Likewise. Take care. Thank you.